0: Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship and dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson
1: and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Halston. Nick, how are you doing today? I am here
2: Welcome to Monday. Enough said.
0: And that is the voice of Reverend Catherine Booth Olson, who is joining us as a special guest today. Catherine,
1: how are you doing today?
2: I am well. I am excited during this joyous season of Advent.
1: (laughs) I am here. (laughs) That's all you got to say today? We've got a, we've got a, uh, I'm just mentally preparing myself for how little talking I'll need to do during this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um we are getting set for
0: christmas coming up uh is it next week Mm-mm. it's a week after next
1: yeah
2: it is
0: next like saturday friday isn't
2: it your christmas eve is 11 days from now uh, Okay. we are recording this so, on monday the 13th and christmas so eve it is, is on the next 24th, week but it's, it's basically two
0: weeks away and christmas is the i 20th. feel like it's two weeks away yeah okay
2: we still got another Sunday.
0: Okay, and this will be coming out, uh, actually, we, you know, this will be coming out on Saturday, so by the time people hear this, it will have been a few more It'll days.
2: It'll be a week to Christmas. <laughs> it
1: would have, hey. will
0: have been almost. Hey. <laughs> 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 Catherine, we are so great that you are joining us uh, this you afternoon. You are so
2: great, or yeah, so grateful? We, we
0: are so grateful. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, we're a little, off the, a little off kilter today, but that's all right. Uh, how's your Advent been going so far?
2: My advent has been going pretty well. This is the Um, however I do have a request. Uh, James and Nick, as we come into this advent, I've had the privilege of partnering with one of our new Sunday school classes here at Northside Church. Yeah. It's a Sunday school class for parents, primarily of kids in elementary school. So adults who find themselves maybe 30s, 40s, and they have been talking about some of their favorite podcasts. And this has made the list. Yeah. And they have requested a class to discuss podcast that they should be listening to oh
0: wow well it's just this one i would imagine
1: i don't listen to this one so <laughs>
2: <laughs> don't include that in the final edit
1: Oh, people i know, mean i recorded it people know that nick doesn't pay attention to his own podcast i found the meme i was looking for oh you want to put that on the podcast i mean <laughs> we, we could or we couldn't but where i was headed with my comment earlier is uh this is sort of a take on a christmas carol I'm the ghost of Christmas Future Imperfect Conditional, said the spirit. (laughs) I bring news of what would have been going to happen if you were not to have been going to change your ways. I love grammar
0: jokes.
2: Um, My favorite uh, Advent saying I've seen this year, it was a shirt that said, yes, I knew. Mary.
0: <laughs> right. Mary, did you know? Yeah, that's yes, your I did. baby. Yes, I did. I did. Actually, I was the first to know. <laughs> I did. Um,
2: I listened to Gabriel. I was paying attention. <laughs> I did pay attention oh to Luke gosh, Chapter one. Oh my gosh, that's great.
0: So, uh right before we got on here, we were talking about uh, uh nativity scenes and uh I'm curious to say what you guys' opinion is on whether or not you put baby Jesus in the nativity
1: scene before Christmas Eve. So, yes yeah you do because if no. i separate that junk i will never find it again <laughs> so it all stays together you could just put it behind the manger so but current. also i'm loving stable. our nativity scene you know i got all the kids at the house so our nativity scene is a little people nativity scene what do you mean by little people it is the uh fisher, like price, play brand. fisher price yes oh cool um you could do like a live nativity scene <laughs> so there's <laughs> enough of us and animals um but but in addition to the little people featured you know you've got mary and joseph and baby jesus and an angel sure and a couple of animals and a shepherd um and a scarlet o'hara ornament is uh, hanging out right there O'Hara? with okay. them why not yeah i just I'll feel never like we're going go a, hungry again just a real southern christmas i'm gonna tell you scarlet O'Hara, terrible terrible human being <laughs> Oh, child yeah. of
2: god child
1: of god who's a terrible human being like most of the people in the bible but she had some great one-liners i mean i can't she think about that today i'll think did. about that tomorrow yeah. i just that's how i get through the day
2: i would like to say <laughs> i'll that, never um, go hungry again i strongly disagree with nick's um presentation yes that while we know that jesus christ is not returning to a major actually being born again we're remembering that christ has been born Baby Jesus is not in my manger scenes at home. He is sleeping peacefully in the box and he will be put out on Christmas day and remain there through Epiphany which is the liturgically correct.
0: You know the you know I do have one one thought though. I I totally agree with you like I do not put baby Jesus in the manger before Christmas Eve and I put the wise men like on the other oh, side so of the house I mean. and they they travel on the days, you know. But Shepherds to too. be honest like why is anyone else at the stable then? Like, none of them were there before Christmas Eve either, right?
2: Fair point. just where to focus your attention. (laughs) Um, I will say, um, I I did see a meme yesterday, and it was uh, Mary and Joseph traveling towards Bethlehem. And um, it's Joseph proclaiming, Mary, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, I should have made reservations. Please, Mary, talk to me. Talk to me. And then the bubble over her head is... This is how the first silent night
0: began. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about Ruth uh, and and the joy that we find within Ruth. This is a story I think of the of the passages that we cover in the Advent devotional. This is probably the one that's most uh, pertinent to or applicable to the Advent season just on the surface, right? We had to kind of do some work with Judges. <laughs> uh, and next week, we'll do some work with Samuel. But uh, today, we're going to talk about Ruth and and the, the joy that we discovered, not only in her story, but in the story of Naomi, particularly, I think, in the story of Naomi. Um, I tend to think this is actually Naomi's story, but it's called Ruth because she's the one that's related to Jesus. That's not why
1: it's called Ruth, but that's in my mind. I'm surprised it's not called Boaz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um. <laughs> um, are so. you surprised, Reverend Catherine?
2: I would say one of the favorite mm-hmm. means I've seen about Boaz was a um, PowerPoint slide that was clearly shown in a church setting that allowed for PowerPoints. And it had a list of all the ases you mm. should not have. Oh, right. So you don't want to, you know, you need to find yourself a Boaz was the punchline, but you don't want a lazy ass, lazy as, <laughs> a poaz, someone poaz. who doesn't respect your ass. You know. <laughs> so. Um,
1: Oh well, we're also getting started today. Um, I tell you what, well, this is the sauciest this is, this is the podcast. Uh, this has been no, it's good though.
0: This is fun. Liven it up. Glad Thank you, Catherine, back. for being here. Um, I will say
2: the other thing though. I shared this with a uh, James invited me to teach his Sunday school class, couple, uh, not Sunday school class, his Bible studies. This was yeah, a couple weeks ago, and in preparation for that class on women of the Bible, I did find it interesting that y'all just kind of joked that maybe the book should be called, you know, Boaz versus, you know, or maybe Naomi over Ruth. Uh, but this is one of the few books where you seem to hear or at least perceive scripture through the lens of a woman yeah Um they say that less than one percent of all scripture is in the voice of a woman um, and this is one of those few books where you actually hear women speak speak yeah that they actually have voice
0: so another fun thing um uh, about this book and this is where i want to jump off as far as getting into the actual text itself and get into the story of, of ruth and and the theme of joy, but. We all know that Esther is the book of the Bible that God's not mentioned at all, never shows up. And in mm-hmm. fact, not even any kind of religious practice or mention of the temple or Jerusalem, anything like that. Uh, in Ruth, uh, God is not mentioned by the narrator of the story, the person who writes the story. Uh, in fact, God only comes off the lips of the women, all right, and uh, maybe maybe Boaz, uh, some of the other people. Uh, but it is it is the narrator. All these things happen in the book that seem very kind of like, oh, mm, well, you know, like very coincidental or tragic or great or whatever. Um, but they seem very, um, I don't know what the word is—not serendipitous, but it, it just—I
2: definitely feel like this is the a cliff note version of the story of what happened to Naomi and you know Ruth. You think and there's a,
0: a longer version? Oh, somewhere? I am
2: sure there is a much more complicated narrative somewhere. And somewhere, someone goes, "Oh, let me tell you. Oh, you're in a rough patch, sweetheart. Let me tell you about a story that turned out well because God was faithful." Let me just tell you how, yeah. how it could be bad now, but God is good in the end.
1: Okay. So in recapping the story, it kind of touches on this, uh, what sort of become a tradition with my wife and I, when you get into Christmas season, like I can settle down and enjoy a Hallmark Christmas movie or a Netflix made for TV Christmas movie. And the book of Ruth has got to be the first Hallmark Hallmark story movie right <laughs> lifetime christmas movie like cuz this terrible thing happens and so the widow yeah. or you know mother-in-law travel to a foreign you know they're coming back to home back to the small town right and then she meets this amazing guy and they fall in love and get married yeah yeah this
2: if if it turned into a Hallmark movie there would have been fake snow
1: Oh yeah, I <laughs> think that we should do that. I think we should write this as a screenplay for a modern, oh, modern. This could story. be a modern yeah, modern Christmas. day Christmas. Yeah. I mean, it ends with a boy being born in Bethlehem, so I mean, <laughs> it prequel. already is. It's, it's a prequel. prequel. It's a prequel. I just, you know, we we had Alan on the last time, and he yeah. has this whole television production background. Oh, we need to I say, like say, bro, Here's idea. what we're doing. Yes,
0: yeah, I like that idea a lot. The idea of uh, turning this into a movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think, do it think it could th- work.
2: This is one of the reasons why we think of this in some ways as an advent story because it is a story that gets us prepared for unexpected people to encounter God at work in unexpected places and ways. Yeah, and a God that is faithful, a God who has a faithful character, that God is reliable and trustworthy and at work even when we don't see it. So, it is sort of that prequel.
0: Well, it, it is, it, and that, that's where I, where I wanted to jump off with is that the narrator doesn't um, narrator doesn't mention God, which means God is not given any actual uh, uh, agency or activity in the book. But but the things that happen are then applied to God by the characters within the story, which I think is fascinating. I want to start by talking about how we see that in our own life. Like so, uh, in in the question of like what kind of eyes does it take or imagination does it take in order to see something happen in the world and say that was god whether it's a good thing or a bad thing right i think i think both good and bad we have that tendency to do that but when we're talking about the story here of ruth it's mostly i mean it starts off pretty bad <laughs> and it, and it gets worse uh and then and then finally it does a turn but that's what i want to talk about how we see god working in the background to start off
2: i will say uh, this book would be a great book to kind of parse down some basic methodist theological terminology oh, okay like and what this book has a Be great pervenient... example yes but p- pervenient <laughs> grace and free will uh oh, interesting. two theological concepts that we focus heavily on yeah. the notion that god is at work in the world even when we do not understand it or yeah, see it or know yeah. it that the holy spirit was around in the old testament and that god is at work in the old testament uh, seeking the redemption of god's people so if you believe that sunrises or sunsets are trying to woo us back to God and yeah. good food seeks to woo us back to God and music and poetry and right, right, art right, right. Yeah. woos us to this creator God. Um, and in the same way that free will, uh, consequences and choice, free will can also um, invite us back to God. And I think most um, most tragedy is the result of free will. Okay. Um, and so famine is the failure to care for the earth or that nature can run amok. Uh, so that freedom, uh, allow both the free will and the prevenient grace, both Coming are seeking together. to draw us back.
0: All right, so I want to push back on that just a little bit. Um, and not, not push back, but ask you a question. Uh, and Nick, you can jump in on this too if you want, but uh, I like the idea of talking about Ruth with prevenient grace as being kind of our guiding lens, maybe. Um, But do we think that uh, this whole thing starts off with a famine, right? And then a couple deaths, three deaths, actually. We don't know the circumstances of the deaths, but they are in, I guess, I mean, they, they happen. I'm uh, vote it, for starvation or syphilis, because that just seems to happen It seems lot. like a lot. Yeah, yeah, tuberculosis, probably, or malaria. You know, half the world's population. This is not
2: the Oregon Trail, friends.
0: <laughs> dysentery, <laughs> dysentery wins dysentery. Again. That's what it was. Because uh, if you go on a trip, you're dying of dysentery. not syphilis. <laughs> These aren't French philosophers.
2: Um, uh, <laughs> I do find it interesting that um, the men. I'm interested that it
1: killed all the men.
2: Died, and the women. Yeah have resolve they live
1: right so we don't know
0: we don't know why maybe they uh maybe the israelites weren't accepted in moab which wouldn't be uh (laughs) wouldn't be surprising but in any case um can we talk about god's prevenient grace as being these these terrible things that happen like is this famine and these deaths can that be something that either i don't want to say god caused to happen but god allowed to happen in order to use as a as a means of grace do we want to this is the fertile soil in which causes the seed of joy to grow. So, does God fertilize the soil like
1: that? I wouldn't be comfortable with the statement God killed Ruth's first husband so that she could marry Boaz and be the ancestor of Jesus. Right. I'm going to agree you, with you would on not that be comfortable one. Comfortable I would not be comfortable with that statement, <laughs> but I could see a world where somebody would be like, "Oh, so you're saying this was the plan?" Right. Well, she doesn't even get back to be-
0: she doesn't even get to Bethlehem for the first time unless she marries the, the first guy. So I'm not saying there's a plan there. I, God, God's going to work out God's going to work out the plan, however it comes about, by the free will that Catherine you were talking about. I but like I'm, a
2: God who's permissive. That is something okay. that I can wrap my ra- brain around that. Um, if you think of like a um, colander that you might like wash grapes or vegetables off and the water is allowed to go through the holes. Yeah. That God permits both good and bad to happen and that because God is constantly seeking redemption that God will use good and bad to seek redemption. Okay. Um. So I don't think God kills husbands or babies <laughs> so that people can change their ways and be redeemed i don't believe in a god who sends hurricanes to right. smi- you know smite people just so they'll get it right um but i do believe that um that god is i would say crafty and witty oh, okay. and right. uh willing to um god has to be god's on god's feet like All willing time. to respond
0: so I think I think most of us would agree with that. I think you ask most people they're going to say something similar to that, but it doesn't really jive with what we read in Scripture, or it doesn't really jive with other half of our theology, which says God is in control. So how do we negotiate that?
2: I think God is like a permissive parent who sometimes lets the rebellious children make mistakes so that they can learn from them, uh, because sometimes you can be told four thousand times, "Don't touch the hot stove! Don't touch the hot stove! Don't touch the hot stove!" You touch the hot stove, and it hurts, and then you don't ever touch the hot stove.
1: Hopefully, right? Hopefully. Um,
2: I don't believe in a well, God God that...
1: really loved me, he wouldn't have let
2: me touch the stove. No, I mean, so I guess I'm—I I'm,
1: right, don't but... believe
2: that God is all controlling in the day in, day in, out. I think right. that God has control over, like, ooh, I'm going to use a big theologic world, the, like— Eschatology, the eschaton, that God right. has control of the beginning and the end, and then God will reign. God reigns and rules through all of it, but God is very permissive in allowing humanity to be as stupid <laughs> and as sinful as they are willing to be.
0: Okay, uh, and I think uh, that's a good Wesleyan answer, and uh, I think a lot of us, uh, at the end of the day, that's where we want to land. But when we when we read Scripture, that's not what we read. So God does cause famines and hurricanes and God does cause deaths and murders.
2: Also, this is not a scientific book. This is also not um, strictly a history book. This book was written compiled by people who encountered God at work in the world. And they also didn't understand, you know, kind of, Modern weather, like we do now, they did not have the technology. Let's be honest. How well do most of our our weather people do yeah, on predicting they, they the weather?
0: Work. It's supposed to be raining today,
2: uh, and it's sunny. And for it's sunny people. out there. Um, so I do think though that that God allows famines. Yeah. Um, but I don't think God caused this famine. But I think in that period of time, that is how they spoke. Right. I think it is. I do think we have a different vocabulary now. So. Than, it, Then. And so I think it was recorded differently than than we would record it now.
0: And that's a a great answer. And that's kind of what I was trying to get back to in the sense of like, we, how we view God's activity in the world says a lot about what we think of God, right? So back then, a famine happens and they say, well, God did that, right? Because that's how they understood how the, the universe worked. God, and so that's how they wrote it down in scripture. But we don't do that anymore. You know, we, we understand that maybe that God is, God doesn't, um, Oh, I mean, I like what you said, Captain. That God doesn't cause famines and hurricanes and murder and death, right? But does
2: God permit it? But God, does, yes, yeah, is obviously. God aware? And of God's it? created yes. a
0: system that creates hurricanes and earthquakes and you know fires and stuff, and that's part of the way in which we live here in this world.
2: But I would agree with you that I do think how um, how we tell the story now is different than how they would have told it then, and right. I do think. Um, Enlightenment and reason and technology and science allows us to have a much more expansive vocabulary Yeah. than, yeah. That, than this group of people who probably had very limited reading and writing skills.
0: Right, right. So, and that gets me to the question, Nick, I want to ask this question to you. So take a second to think about this. But um, if I were to tell you a story like the story of Ruth today, uh, in contemporary terms, like I was telling you about a girl I knew, right, and uh, who went away uh, to Tuscaloosa, came back uh, with, you know, a, a daughter-in-law, and there was terrible things happened on there while they are there, and, you know, blah, 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 et cetera, fill in the blanks. Like, And I'm not, I don't mention God at all. I'm just telling you the story. How easy would it be for you to see God's activity in that story? Like, how would you say, well, that's just a God thing? Or would you be more inclined to be like, well, that was incredibly serendipitous. What happened there?
1: <laughs> well, which part of the story? Any part of it. Because that first, gonna... of the first part of the story, my gut response might question how well they were living. And I'm like, what's going on with life when yeah all that madness happens? And I, I think, too, I would wonder, what do... What does that woman believe happened yeah yeah um,
0: and that's a great question because we don't get a lot of uh we don't get a lot from the characters in the sense of they 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 think that God is is pulling strings behind the scenes, although that's clearly like the implication that we're getting right and there, there is a a recognition of God in the story from the characters, but there's not a God did A, B, and C, right? It is for instance like the famine that drives them to move in the first place. There's no there's no indication that God caused that famine, right? It just happened.
2: I do think there, there's a kind of a biblical invitation, um, we hear in the gospels to ask and seek and knock. Um, I also think there's the invitation to um ask, to have eyes, the eyes to see what God sees and the ears to hear, yes. And the mind to conceive. You hear that in, you know, Corinthians. And I think if you're looking for God at work in the world, you will find God at work in the world. Mm-hmm. If you are not looking for God, if you are not seeking God, if you are not studying God, um, whether studying in Scripture or song or in community or individually, um, you find what you're looking for. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find trouble. <laughs>
0: That's good. If yeah. you're
2: looking for hope, you're going to find hope. I think we find what we're looking for. Now, some people will say, well, I've been looking for a job for a long time and I haven't found one. or I've been looking right. for a spouse or I've been looking for but I think um most of the time where you put your attention and your energy that's where you're going to see fruits and labor. I think that's exactly
0: right. I think that's and that's what Jesus means when he says seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? And uh seek, ask, knock these things are because we do tend to find what we're looking for. I think you're exactly right.
2: And I think that's the difference of what in the story um is Ruth was willing to look for hope and joy. When Naomi stopped looking, when she became bitter, uh, and she had a right to be bitter, and I think in the season of joy and anticipation and hope, I was really grateful that we had the service of hope and healing here at Northside last week. um, It was a great service. Reverend Jeff shared um, the song, lyrics that remind us, you know, softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Mm. Um, If you are weary and you are tired, come home. That um, if you are not feeling joyous this Christmas, that's okay. Like life can be hard and overwhelming, and there's a place for lament. Uh, but as you lament and as you think, seek God, you will start to find hope and joy again.
0: So that, that kind of brings me to um, one of the things that I find so fascinating about this story, Catherine, and the way that you said that sets us up well. But um, Naomi's the Israelite in this story. She's the one who's a longtime believer of God, of Yahweh. Uh, and all these things happen to her, which you were right. She has the right justification to feel the way she does. But it's the new, it's the new person, the new person to the faith who's just joined the people, and only through Naomi, really, who has all this hope and is able to see that you know, that it's, the story's not over yet, right? There's, there's more to come, and she's willing to do things that are going to uh, lead to the joy that we see at the end of the book. But wh- why is it that, why is it that we find like that we can find people who have been part of the faith for so long be the ones who are bitter, whereas it's the newer, newer newcomers, you know. To the faith who tend to be, you know, maybe have more hope or more imagination or are able to see God's
1: activity in the world a little bit better than somebody who's been part of the church for a long, long time. I am fascinated by Ruth's willingness to travel back to Judah with her mother in law. Yeah. Like, what, why did she feel such a responsibility? A loyalty, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you, you could just stay in the town you always grew I'm just assuming that she's, you know, still living in the area she grew up in. Why? But
2: she may not have been invited back. That's one of the interesting tidbits they say is because she married outside of the community. Yeah. Uh, would her original community have welcomed her back? That's a great sort of that notion. You left us to like you were an Alabama fan, and you married <laughs> these Georgia fans, and now you, you can't come back. Like, would she have been invited?
1: The, I
0: think back? The, the implication okay,
1: double down on that because over and over and over again, the Israelites were told not to intermarry. Oh yeah, and the law is definitely broken here. These boys moved to Moab and find oh, some dude. Moabite women.
0: <laughs> yeah. We got some Moabite <laughs> women over here and and then they die. Well, and that's the yeah, and that's the implication. The implication I think is that Ruth could have gone back. The way that the story's set up where the other daughter-in-law goes back and then uh, the way that they talk about uh, what they, the way they describe her to Boaz later on in chapter th- 2 or 3 when they're like she left her family behind she could have gone back basically so, but you're right no, there, I mean, th- there is the, there's a lot of stuff a lot of details we that don't we don't know, know that's why right I feel like yeah. this is the cliff it's an, it's note good to kinda,
2: version yeah. but I do think this would be an interesting question for like Nate Juvenal our director of student ministries um, and maybe some others if you think about like teenagers or folks new to the faith mm-hmm. how when you are new to the faith, this belief that like we have a God who overcame death, and that there's eternal life, and that like m- the miracles are clearly miracles, and you just buy into them and you don't question them, like yeah, um, Ruth jumps in and is like, "I'm going, like I'm going," not only with you, and I think she probably was like a compassionate, kind woman. She probably saw this heartbreak of Naomi, yeah. But I do think that you're saying something that has some validity. This curiosity about why do often those who are younger in the faith have more confidence in the faith than sometimes those of us who have been at it and maybe have become a little jaded and critical and burnt out and disappointed? Um,
0: Because I mean, and I think a lot of it has to do with stuff happens to people over the course of a long life, and... you you start to lose your ability to see God in these activities, especially if you're not willing to say that God is doing the bad things, right? If you're willing to say this, God's letting this happen to me, right? All these terrible things are happening to me. Uh, that that'll beat you down. Uh, I think it won't even take that long. But then Ruth, she is seeing the same things, right? She's just lost a husband, and her daughter, her her mother-in-law has lost a husband and and two sons. Like what? <laughs> what has she seen? That has caused her to be so faithful or so loyal. I mean, it's it's through Naomi that she's believing in God, right? I think it's pretty clear in the in the book that it's the relationship with Naomi that is is sustaining Ruth's or even creating Ruth's uh, faithfulness. So it's it's not as though she saw her husband die and was like, "I believe in God now," right? It's, that's not what happened. So um, I don't I don't know. It's just a fascinating. But do you think
2: it's easier to sometimes see to be the outsider looking in? Mm than to be on the inside and looking out. Like when you're in the midst of your own tragedy, it's hard to have perspective. Absolutely. And I wonder being newer to this, it was a whole new vocabulary, a whole new concept around this God who would be a covenantal God, God who would keep a promise. And I wonder if there's something about being all of this being so new that Mm. she was willing to take a risk Mm. because it was so distinctive.
1: Do you think there's an element of um, one's disposition that makes it easier for some people to persevere in the fate in the face of those, you know, bad things happening. Like, what do you mean? Say more. Um, sometimes I feel like there's an element of personality. Like some people just process things differently. Yeah. Um, some folks are naturally gonna just see the bright side, not to say that they can't get down, but, um,
2: some people are weeble wobbles. Mm hmm. That you knock them down and they just pop right back up. Like, I <laughs> yeah. do wonder if some of that, like you're saying, is just, so so your just like,
1: like eternal optimist. I just think that Ruth might just be just built in such a way where like, She's gonna see the glass half full. Yeah.
2: She's an Enneagram seven. You I go. knew I was gonna take a chance to get some Enneagram. We're gonna
1: edit that out. <laughs> into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she was
2: always looking for the next grand adventure.
1: <laughs> well, maybe so. She
2: was the enthusiast. Maybe so.
1: See, and the other the s- sister in law was a six. Yes. <laughs> She's done. She's out. <laughs> she
2: was like, this isn't safe. She's like
1: you want me to move where? Nope.
2: I but I do wonder some of that is just recognizing that. I do think there are certain personalities that are just more willing to take risk and try new things. And so,
0: what does that tell us then about being faithful Christians uh, in the church?
2: That we need the body.
0: We need
1: the body, well, and that sometimes you, you need
2: yourself. to see that someone else would do it differently than you. Well, I,
1: and different people come to the faith differently too. Yeah, I think that what we see it exhibited on staff. We've got all kinds of creative staff members, but they have different approaches yeah to how they do mission how they do ministry how they write how they yeah speak um and i think it's all geared towards the way people receive it differently
2: well and i do think we also respond to grief differently
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and both of these women were grieving and i think there's different seasons and cycles to grief like there's not just one way to grieve and each of us individually have had losses yeah and and some days you're, you have good days and some days you have bad days and some days you're hopeful and some days you're overwhelmed. And I just, I think that's why we're invited to do faith and community. Yeah. Cause I think too often I'm like, Oh, there's only one way to respond to this and it's this. And then I encounter one of y'all and y'all are like, no, you don't have to do it that way. There's a thousand other ways. Yeah. I would clearly do something different. Um,
0: no, that's a good word. I think that's exactly right. And You know, and there may be situations here. Ruth saves Naomi. We could say that pretty clearly, I think, or at least participates in uh, Naomi's salvation. There may be days when it's the other way around.
2: Well, clearly Naomi helped to get Ruth. I mean, there was, they both did seed planting. Like Naomi planted seeds in Ruth. And then later Ruth was at a place where those seeds had produced fruit. Yeah. And she was able to return that fruit in some ways. Like so...
1: Okay, so I'm, I'm interested in y'all's perspective on this because one of the things that I think is really neat about this story is the way that God has planted the seeds of how the Jews are going to live in community together. And these are the rules for when you harvest your crops and how you harvest your crops and who has a right to come in behind you and right. glean the fields. And yeah. so there's this system in place for Naomi and Ruth to survive. I mean, you'll be proud of me, Catherine. There's like the social justice element.
2: Interestingly, there are still nonprofits today that exist that are, um, are based on a gleaning model. Um, so a colleague that James and I went to Candler School of Theology with, uh, Jeannie Hunter, is a Presbyterian minister who works for an organization in the Nashville area. And that is exactly what they do. They partner with farms that either have an abundance of crops or crops that didn't get picked by the machines that could be handpicked.
1: Mm-hmm. after oh, wow.
2: the initial picking yeah. and they work with like churches and scouting organizations and invite people to come out and glean and
0: mm-hmm. that
2: gleaning is given to food banks
0: that's cool um, that's really cool mm-hmm. to say
2: because the machines can only get so much or they might only want to hire so much staff to like work a field and then they work with non-profits to have extra produce
1: well and yeah who are you going to pay to pick like are you going to harvest enough from what you pay to make it worth it right. economically right. versus offering a not-for-profit volunteers to come harvest it. And so I think it's really neat that in this story, God has a system set up and it makes me think about the church and what things have we been called to do as a church that we're making it possible for somebody like this to survive. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um,
2: it also makes me curious as I'm one who's really driven towards kind of efficiency and effectiveness and I want to use up everything. Like right. you give me a pen and I'm going to write with it until it's like not writing anymore. Um, and in some ways I also wonder, do we at times deplete things in a way that prevents us from being able to share the abundance because yeah. mm-hmm. we use it all
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we don't leave any margin.
0: Right. Um, you definitely get that. uh you get that picture here i mean the 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 metaphor of gleaning or the activity of gleaning for that matter is is definitely pointing toward the abundance and the leftover but it, it could be also seen as being wasteful i mean in the sense of like it's you know this is stuff that we couldn't get or uh you know you're talking about using things up right uh and god either way whether you look at it as abundance or or waste god is is using that to sustain Mm -hmm. people
2: but Nick what I like you're asking about is the intentionality like there are seasons where we know here at Northside we are going to buy an abundance anticipating a crowd and we don't want to be caught short Mm -hmm. and so we're going to have leftover craft supplies in children's ministry or we're going to have we purchase new hymnals or new bibles and we know um, how do we purchase new choir robes like do we have plans in our system that when we have an abundance Yeah. ways to share those and I think that's probably true for a lot of our listeners like when you go shopping at Costco you buy an abundance and your kids aren't going to eat the second round of that leftover or the third (laughs) round or they're not going to wear those clothes until they're threadbare and so like do you have a plan from the start to say I'm not going to get all the life out of this right these clothes or this car or this you know activity like am I already thinking about who I'm going to donate it to who I'm going to share it with Who am I going to pass it on to? Um,
0: And there there needs to be intentional, um, like sit down and intentionally think that out, like a plan for uh, gleaning, I guess, uh, for gleaning the things that we use here at Northside Church, but also in our personal lives. I think you're right about that. So this week we're talking about... um, this week in the devotional, we talked about joy and Ruth. And one of the things that we we're trying to understand joy is separate from or in, in, uh, in connection with uh, happiness. So, you guys, talk to me a little bit about what you think the difference
1: between joy and happiness is. I should feel joy all the time, but I don't feel happiness all the time.
2: I'm going to push even, I'm going to take it one okay. step on yeah. Nick. I'm going to build on Let's Nick. Go. I'm going to say that joy actually is not, is not strictly a feeling. Okay. That joy is a condition and that joy is a gift because joy is a spiritual disposition. Okay. It's a spiritual gift where happiness is strictly a feeling. Okay. Um, You feel happy. You sometimes feel sad, but to feel joy because it is a fruit of the spirit, as they talk about in Galatians. Absolutely. That um, it's not contingent on Circumstance yeah. or budget or people, that joy is a deep down knowledge that God is at work no matter what kind of ish right. is happening <laughs> around me.
0: So is it similar to you could say love is not a feeling, uh, but affection is. So maybe the same kind of correlation there between affection and, and love.
2: A church member um, who reached out and just sort of said something to the extent of like, I'm not, I'm not feeling I feel like I'm failing God because I don't feel joy right now. Yeah. Um. And I kind of engaged her in a dialogue and I was like, I have a feeling you have a lot more joy and kind of blessed assurance that mm-hmm. a joy is an assurance. Yeah. Um. And a confidence that God is at work. You're not feeling happy. You're not feeling cheerful or elated or right. optimistic. But I was like, but you are committed to your faith. And yeah. like you have this deep root that God has not done, even though, you know, anxiety and depression are up against you and life circumstances are up against you. You still have this peace and hope and conviction to persevere through the darkest of valleys.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's what I think is the difference between joy and happy is like joy um is kind of a, as much I think in some ways quieter than happiness. Okay. It's um What do you mean by that? In the sense that I don't think it's a I think you can see like joy in a you know, like you see joy in a smile, and maybe you see someone being joyful and they're dancing around, but I think you see joy in, you know, in a widow who shows up, you know, to the community of faith or shows up in a field or shows up Yeah. Not because they're happy and they're bubbly and they're elated, but because they don't give in to despair,
1: yeah. That's the, good. The, the personal stories that we've seen in the congregation dealing with tragedies of life, um, illness and death, and how those people still have joy.
2: I think that's, yeah, one of those really exciting things. Like, I think if you're someone who's listening and you're like, I don't have joy right now, you probably do, <laughs> right? Um, you what you don't have is happiness, but what I would say is like. Reach out to some other people who have grieved and are grieving and ask them how long it took before Mm -hmm. they felt the happiness to come back and ask them, like, how are you finding your joy again? And I'll tell you, if you're having a hard time finding joy, spend some time with kids in this season of Christmas, and they are losing their minds in preparation (laughs) for, like— what is coming under the tree? And I'm not saying teenagers. I'm saying go not talk to like a seven year old no. or a four year is old is yes. squarely
1: in that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Like, and I do the childlike faith that like Scripture talks about, like to have the faith of a child. Yeah, and some of that joy of a child who is delighted with like a candy cane or an empty box as much as a $400
0: it does seem to bubble over bubble over with uh, kids and there's it's unbridled like it's not filtered through the perspective of a long life or disappointment or, or pain or suffering like kids are just let their joy hang on their sleeve and it's it is it's good it's a good. Refreshing I also think kind of thing. kids
2: can live in the moment. Like we as adults yeah, are like, yeah, we're good. worried about the future and we're like yeah. brooding over the past. And a yeah. kid is like, right here in this moment, I got a milkshake,
0: <laughs> and
2: like, I got to buy a two dollar gift in the cheap basket at Target. Like, yeah. what? And we're like, it was only a two dollar gift, and like,
0: right, we get like, no, that's good, that's so, exactly like, right. And
2: that mo, kids can live in the moment yeah. in a way that I think as adults have forgotten. And yeah. I think that's actually a, that's a loss. We've lost something.
1: And they have that ability um, to not worry. Right. To just, I don't know. I, if you encounter a kid who worries, we find that kid to be like mature or like, we don't think of them as a kid. Right. Because a kid who worries, that's like an adult, like yeah. adults worry. Right. Um,
2: or they're the victim of trauma or they're a child yeah, who's sure, gone sure. Well, their like, that's what I'm saying like, something something's gone. happened
0: to mature them in a way that right. could yeah, be yeah. negative or positive but it's not It's not generally uh...
2: and I would say <laughs> even if you don't have a kid like find a place that's appropriate to go like like buy yourself a zoo ticket
1: <laughs> and go
2: sit at the zoo, or go to the botanical gardens, or like—is
1: the Christmas experience booked up?
2: We are not fully booked. We still got some spots. Go stand at the cookie counter at Honoree's and like watch kids <laughs> get cookies, um, and you'll just see like how quickly like they can take their like mourning into rejoicing. Yeah, like this—the turnaround time for a kid. I it's mean, quick. y'all have kids. Yeah, you've seen them go from full on meltdown to like. Oh, it's awesome! Everything's
1: happy. I've yep. seen it happen the other direction too. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've seen that too. <laughs> um, but, that's a good word. But I though. do think
2: that's a, one of the invitations is that childlike faith mm-hmm. reminds us that God is at work, and like maybe we don't. And I think one of the things kids know is they they know they don't have the whole picture. Like they don't know about bills and debt and
0: yeah. They don't, I mean, they haven't been... They haven't Car been repairs, worn, braces, cat surgeries.
2: I mean, they just trust that someone's going to take care of it for them. And
0: that's it. That's it right there. Because I was thinking about this with Kai this weekend. Um, and I, as I was thinking about doing preparing this for my Sunday school class, uh, is that she definitely, uh, in, in response to what you just said, Catherine, she definitely like just trusts that I'm going to take care of dinner. And that if she can jump on the couch, if she falls off, that I'm going to catch her.
2: Maybe that's the difference. Maybe what we're kind of doing is answering our own question. You asked what was different about someone who might be newer in the faith. Is their willingness to trust?
1: We just did Daniel in my Sunday school class, and we talked about the three friends in the fiery furnace and their response to the king when he said, "I'm gonna throw you in the fiery furnace." And they said, "Well, our God will protect us, but even if He doesn't, we're still not bowing down to that's you." One of my favorite lines. And I just wonder, like, if Guyver would be like, "Well, even if Dad doesn't catch me, I'm he's still bad. gonna jump on the couch." <laughs> Right. I mean,
0: right. Even after Dad said, "Don't do that." What, how many times have I told you? Don't jump on the couch. This is not a couch to but jump it's on. It's so fun. That's exactly what she did. exactly. And
2: I think that's what Ruth had. She trusted. She trusted Naomi yeah. when Naomi couldn't trust herself, but she also trusted the God that Naomi taught her about yeah. and showed her. Yeah. Um And so she trusted that it was going to be okay. Maybe not perfect. Maybe not sunshine and roses yeah. and ponies and unicorns with sprinkles on top. But it was going to be okay. And I think sometimes we have a hard time trusting, even though we know God. There's yeah. so much we don't know. And we also believe in kind of the sinfulness of humanity. I'm like, well, God might be good, but those other people can be crummy. And, <laughs> and like, we know God that God might lets things us, happen. But if God's going to let them have free will, they could jack it up for me. So I got to, like, hedge my bets and, like, protect myself. And like... I think
0: that's right. I mean.
2: And that steals our joy. Like, that work can be joy stealing. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to ask the two of you, like, what are a few of the things that, like, that just bring you joy. Like when you go participate or hang out with, like what are some things that are just like joy givers for y'all?
1: You know what gives me joy? What watching J Flex now and be like, <laughs> look, I've got muscles. No, but it gives like, me I'm joy.
2: gonna push up on like I know you're probably gonna cut this, but no, 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 no like that's seriously, good. Um, I mean but I think of like when you talk about some of the people you have read, James, like the yeah. joy you get in theological study. Like the joy you get in like tackling a hard concept. Yeah. Like,
0: that, that's true. I when mean, I watch a good movie or hear a good song, uh,
2: the joy you seem to share on Facebook when Kiefer says something that is yeah. like
0: too I, much I like say, what you
2: would say. Like, I
0: would say that, that, yeah, my daughter is probably the, the main source of, of allowing that joy to, to be expressed, right? Because I think, like you said, joy is always like in there, it's always planted in my faith for sure. But uh, it comes out, express gets expressed in those moments, I think.
2: I mean, Nick, I just wonder, like, how much joy you have when you go bird hunting. Like, it's
1: hmm?
2: just, it's like, yeah. there's something. No, there is joy
1: in that. I've shared that before, that, that like, sitting in a duck blind at sunrise, there's joy in that.
2: And, and that's what I'm saying. Joy isn't always loud and exuberant, but it's as deep, like, God is good. Yeah. And maybe that's what I would, like, God is good and God is at work. Like, I can trust that God is God is doing something. Like, what
0: about you, Catherine? What, what brings you joy? Oh,
2: um, I mean, there's some simple things. Like, I think I don't think I've ever had an ice cream sandwich where I haven't had some level of joy. <laughs> um, but I also, I mean, there's there's definitely some, like, I think of joy a lot in community. I'm an extrovert. So, like, there are groups of people that I know, if I'm going to see them, like, I could have had the worst day. I could have gotten bad news. But, like, being with these people and breaking bread and sharing... Yeah. A meal and maybe a beverage. Like I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna feel this like deep sense of just gratitude and joy. Like yeah. being around them. Sometimes, I mean, pretty often. I know my husband will tell you he he thinks I find joy in going for a run. He's like, "Ooh, you're real grumpy. Like go for a run." <laughs> and I come back a lot, my like that space to get out in yeah, nature uh-huh. and breathe some fresh air. And I'm like, "Oh, you know what?" all of these things I'm worried about are mostly in my head. Like there are all these other homes and all these other people who have run past and like,
1: yeah, Yeah. that's good. Do you think about, I think about that sometimes I've wondered if other people think about that. Like particularly if I'm sitting in traffic and I'm stuck and you like, you can see other people sitting in their cars and there's a part of me that's like, I wonder what their deal is. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm feeling like I'm going to have a great day today. I wonder if they're going to have a great day today or i had a terrible day today yeah. i wonder if they had a terrible day today like yeah. i don't know i wonder about other people's stories like what's going on but how well known each and every one of those
0: is known by god uh, and how god is playing all of these pieces together on the board uh, it's interesting
2: i uh, do you think that that would be a great question like to ask each other like particularly like close friends or spouses yeah. or siblings like what is bringing you joy or how could I amplify the joy in your life? Like not as how was your day? Or that's good. What did yeah. you do? It like like tell me what is bringing you joy right now.
1: Any final thoughts on joy before we uh, close the close down shop today? I'm excited to see in Ruth God turn a tough situation into a joyful situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what God is doing through Jesus Christ. That kind of humans left themselves would kind of screw everything up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And God's going to turn it to joy. Yeah, that's good. That's really good.
2: I think the thing I take away from it not only that kind of promise that you see in the Old Testament that like God is at work mm-hmm. and we know very clearly that that God was at work in Jesus Christ and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through hard times, but I will say just sitting in here in community, the reminder that like, if you're in a bad place, like if you can't, if you're not feeling peace and you're not feeling joy, like um, to not do that alone, like that is why the church is here, like reach out, like ask people to sincerely pray for you, to ask people to remind you, like, I know there are things that used to bring you joy, like go back to the good old faithful things, but like maybe try something new. Like Ruth went back to what was familiar to find joy. But Ruth went to something new to find joy. Yeah, and like to say, like if you don't have joy, like I think God wants us to be a joyful people, like joyful, joyful. We adore thee. So like, I guess my kind of go to would be like, go get yourself some joy. Like,
0: go get yourself some joy. That's a good word. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great conversation. This is super joyous. This is like,
2: <laughs> super joyous. <this> is joyous.
0: <laughs> and Nick, as always, see you tomorrow. Peace. Peace.